0: Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. All right. Uh, like I said, I'm uh, I'm wearing a dog t-shirt today. And uh, that is not by accident. Um, it was actually my birthday recently, and my, my brother uh, gave me this gift. And you're like, whoa, well, he must not really... Love you. Well, actually, <laughs> this is a step above. He's moving up. I can tell he has a full-time job now. Um, because before, past gifts from him have included uh, a Finger Eleven CD. Anyone know who Finger Eleven is? I sure didn't. Um, he, a, a, a Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Autobiography, I Am Zlatan, uh, which is a fun read if you want to hear Zlatan tell great things about himself and make you feel like dump. And uh, also a Martin Lawrence double feature. And I'm not talking about, like, bad boys Martin Lawrence. I'm talking about, like, Blue Streak Martin Lawrence. So uh, this is this is a step up, all right? Um, <laughs> I'm also wearing it today. This might be the new shirt because we are going to talk, our sacrament we're talking about today is conflict. And step one in the process of handling conflict is wear a T-shirt with a cute, fuzzy animal on it, all right? It's just hard to be mad when you've got this face staring at you, right? Uh, not this face, this face right here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we're going to talk about Conflict. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like our society is really bad at conflict right now. We're really bad at talking and listening. Um, And maybe that's that's actually part of the point right there. Uh, I'm saying they're bad at it. We need to start by saying I'm bad at it, actually. I'm not good at listening to other people right now. And so what I wanna do uh, in, our, in our time today is I wanna do twofold. First, I wanna frame the discussion of why I think our society is, is struggling to listen and to talk and sort of paint some with broad strokes, which also might perpetuate it a bit because painting with broad strokes is part of the problem. Um, and then I wanna spend the rest of our time and looking at maybe uh, how God offers up a process for handling conflict, both with one another and those outside the family. We're in a series called Sacraments if you're here for the first time. And the concept of a sacrament is quite simple. It's that God wants to communicate to us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to you. He wants to tell you who he is. He wants to tell you how deeply he loves you. Um, But the, the nature of our hearts is such that we're resistant to this idea of love. We're resistant to one another. And so for God to communicate there's gonna be an element of death. A sacrament is such if it sort of puts to death something inside of us, some part of us that is diseased, that is rebellious, that prunes a branch. And he does so, so that from that, something new can grow up out of it. And I wanna explore today how conflict um, is a sacrament, how God can speak to us through conflict so that something new can grow out. And it's very practical because this Thursday is Thanksgiving. And uh, there might be potential fun conversations for all of us to be had with friends and family. So let's pray, and then we will jump in. Lord, we, uh, we do fear conflict. And I think ultimately we fear it because we're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of not being enough. We're afraid that... Um, that our views or our mistakes define us in such a way that when there's conflict, um, others will will completely just throw us out. Open our hearts to hear today that though that might be the case um, in some of the ways that the world and our society works, that's not the case with you. That there's nothing, nothing we can do, nothing we can say that will result in you throwing us out. And therefore there's nothing that we can do or say, no amount of offense or insult or conflict that will result in us throwing one another out. We're stuck together. And that's the gift of your family, is that we get to learn what it means to be your people. So speak to us, it's in your name we pray, Lord, amen. All right. So first, whoa, I just broke this. (laughs) Let us put this back on. Oh, there we go, there we go, all right. Um, First, why does it feel like our society is no good at having conflict, at entering conflict? I wanna break this up twofold. I wanna break it up sort of biologically and and culturally. And and biologically, it's actually quite simple. Uh, Homo sapiens, you might know this, we are social creatures. We are social creatures. We are looking to cooperate and to bond. Uh, uh, according to um, various theories, that's actually our biggest advantage. That's how Homo sapiens uh, won out against other, other groups, against the Neanderthals and Homo erectus and stuff. It's because we, we weren't the biggest or the strongest. We were, a bit, we were able to cooperate with one another. We were able to bond um, and to be stronger in numbers. And what we found is that biologically, once humans bond with one another, we don't wanna give up that bond. We don't, no matter how harmful or untrue or flimsy it may be. We don't wanna give up that bond. And we see this work out. I mean, we see it in children. When our child that we're like, they would never do something like that, goes with the crowd and does something illegal or harmful. And you're like, how did that happen? Well, it's because the bond was super important to them. The friendship was more important than the uh, objective truth or morality of the thing that they were doing. And this would make sense from a theological perspective because we say that God, the one God is actually three persons. God is perfectly united, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We might even say, though this is a little more inaccurate, but I think it's a good, good um, it stirs our imaginations. God is perfect community and God's essence. There is a a uniting and a perfect, loving community. God is bonded with God's self. So it makes sense that if we come from this creator, that what we want more than anything else is to bond with one another, is to belong, is to connect. All this is another way of saying that for Homo sapiens, social bonding is more important than truth. Social bonding is more important to us, or at least I should say is more primary to us than what is empirically true about the world that we live in. And this has been, uh, we've seen this in a lot of different psychological studies, uh, probably most notably for us is confirmation bias, right? We've all heard of confirmation bias or according to some cognitive scientists it's called my side bias, which is our ability to immediately spot the weaknesses in another's argument but fail to see it in our own. That's what we're noticing. Uh, there was a great article in the New Yorker last year called why facts don't change our minds. And basically that's what it was getting at. Confirmation bias is the ability to see how that group over there, the, the flaws in their logic, the flaws in their thinking, but fail to see it in our own. There's another a concept called explanatory depth illusion, which is exactly as it sounds. <laughs> that we know we should disagree with that group, that argument, but when pressed as to why, our knowledge of the group or the argument is unbelievably thin. <laughs> like it's really fascinating when you ask, hey, why do you disagree with you know, that viewpoint, that ideology? And they'll give a, a, a one, I, I will give a one sentence answer, a cursory understanding. Like, oh, can you explain what that means? And be like, uh, no. <laughs> Explanatory depth illusion. I think I understand them better than I actually do. And in this article, it points out that it turns out that holding on to an irrational idea that is the basis for membership in a group functions much in the same way as an addictive drug. Agreeing with the group stimulates the reward pathway. Trying to defy the group stimulates many of the same brain regions that fire during drug withdrawal. Isn't that fascinating? So basically, if I was to approach a group um, that had a pretty irrational belief as the basis of, of their group, and I presented them with a logical argument of why it was irrational, what would start going off in their brains with nothing, like, I have no relationship with them, I just present them with the logic. What would start going off in their brains is triggering drug withdrawal. They would start feeling the effects of withdrawal. And as we know, that usually doesn't help. But if I went and presented uh, um, facts that sort of confirmed, they would start triggering like pleasure. That is so interesting. What this is all trying to say is that presenting people with the infallible logic of your position will not change their mind. It actually will only push them further to their own position in their own group. Because biologically, we don't care first and foremost about truth. Biologically, the first thing we care about is belonging. The very first thing, doesn't matter how foil proof your logic is, to come to someone with it, without any basis of relationship, without any basis of of love will do the opposite of what you hope to do. It will send them further into their own group. First things is we care more about belonging than we do about truth. And we have to feel safe like we belong before we're willing to consider an argument. Now culturally, why are, um, why does it feel like we're, we're bad at handling conflict, entering into conflict? There was a really great book written a while ago by Robert Putnam, um, who's a Harvard public policy professor. It's tough to say. Fun to say, but tough to say. Public policy professor. N- never mind. <laughs> My mind went to Daffy Duck. I have no idea why. Um, but he wrote a book called Bowling Alone. Bowling Alone. And, and his, his, his major thesis is that Americans, since World War II, have slowly become more and more disconnected from social bonds, like immediate social bonds, physical social bonds, grassroots neighborhood things, town council meetings, church, all of that. We're, we're more and more disconnected from those things, but we're still social creatures. We're looking to bond. So it's not that we're just not doing anything anymore. No, no, no. In the place, even though we're more disconnected locally, we become increasingly connected virtually, right? technologies have individualized our leisure time, which makes sense, right? So as we've disconnected locally and we've connected virtually, what we've also seen is an increase in anxiety and depression and suicide because we are social creatures. We're looking to bond. And I kind of want to prove it. Um, If I had to take a guess, if I had to take a guess, I would say, one half to two thirds of this room voted in the most recent primaries or the, the midterms, which is awesome, that's great. But if I had to take uh, another guess, I would say less than 10% of this room went to the most recent borough meeting, town hall meeting. Or or uh, maybe, maybe consider this, I would say that you are more likely to know what uh, a friend from high school living in LA is eating lunch today, then you are to know what your next door neighbor is doing for lunch today. right? Right, me too, trust me, me too. That's getting at this idea. It's not that we aren't connecting anymore, it's just that we're not connecting locally, we're connecting in this virtual ether and connecting virtually has consequences it does one uh, our attention spans have diminished and i know there's there's different studies out that are sort of engaging that question Uh, based on my own subjective experience, I feel like it's true. Because here's what will happen. When I sit down to write a sermon and I have all my books out and I'm like reading and I'm I'm trying to think deeply and think about complex thoughts and synthesize into an argument, my temptation, my proclivity to pick up my phone and just disengage from complex thinking is so fast now. I don't know if anyone else has that same experience. But like when, when conflict is happening or like when just when deep thinking occurs, my temptation to escape it is really, really quick now. And I, I think, you know, that's the new sources and, and the entertainment we consume, they understand that. So articles are getting shorter and shorter. And I've actually um, um, like know some different publishers and stuff like that. And they say that this is like, like, seven, like six to seven minutes was a couple years back was the ideal time for reading an article. I'm sure it's even shorter now we're just unable to consume and synthesize really complex thinking. We've, we've sort of eschewed uh, the complex argument in favor of the tweet, the pithy tweetable statement. And don't worry, this sermon's going to have some pithy tweetable statements. It will, because that's how we consume now. But here's what happens, and we just know it. It's obvious. The shorter an argument is, the more simplistic it is, right? It has to be. It can't deal with all the intricacies and complexities. The shorter it is, the more simplistic it is. That's one consequence. Second consequence is now we have an unlimited ability to choose what we consume. So we choose our news stories, we choose our TV shows, we choose whatever. And as we've realized, the companies know what we choose (laughs) and they have algorithms in place that feed us whatever we choose. So we just continue to consume what we already consume, which, going back to the, bi- the biology of this, just further cements confirmation bias. We only read the arguments, the stories of our side, which triggers our brain that says, good, 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 good. And we don't read anything about the other side because that would trigger withdrawal. And we read short stuff too, very simplistic, very caricature stuff. And I mean, I think it's true, like don't raise your hands for this, but to those who would consider themselves more left-leaning in the room, when's the last time you watch Fox News? And not to mock it, not to caricature it, but to actually listen, to actually listen. To those who are more right-leaning in the room, when's the last time you watch CNN? Not to mock it, not to get angry, but to actually listen. We don't, we don't. So brief recap humans care more about belonging than we do about truth. We care firstly about belonging than we do about truth. So we're already prone to confirmation bias, to seeing the flaws in their argument, but not the flaws in my own. We're increasingly disconnected from real people and connected in this virtual world, which in turn is making us unable to sustain complex thought There are algorithms in place that feed us more of the shallow, simplistic drivel that makes heroes of our side and totally vilifies the other side. And truth be told, if we're being honest, I don't even know my side that well because I'm not having real conversations. I'm having these virtual short two-minute tweetable conversations and maybe the occasional spirited Facebook debate, which is a lot of fun but not real conversations with real people. And then if I don't even understand my side, I certainly don't understand the other side with our proclivity to explanatory depth illusion. So we have some wild caricature idea of who they are. Well, all that being the case, well, it makes sense where we're at today, doesn't it? It makes sense. Where it is normal, and again, let's be clear, I'm talking uh, not yet as um, a pastor, not yet as um, someone who considers himself a follower of God in the family of God. I'm still talking as a, a private citizen right now. Where it is normal in our society for universities to disinvite speakers or to have forced cancellations and not super polarizing speakers either. And there might be a conversation for for those who are super polarizing. But those who are more moderate, a list, just some of the names. Henry Kissinger. These are people who have been um, uh, forced cancellations or disinvited. Henry Kissinger. Condoleezza Rice. Larry Summers. Alec Baldwin. Who cancels on Alec Baldwin? Come on. (laughs) Um, James Jattins, DNA co-discoverer. Michael Moore, George Will, Anna Quindland, just some of the names, the people who have been disinvited. We live in now a society where 51%, according to a survey from Brookings Institution, 51%, a majority of our country, think it is acceptable to shout down a speaker with whom they disagree. 51%, 20%, according to the same survey think it is acceptable to use violence to prevent a speaker. That's how much we have forgotten how to talk, how much we've been pushed into these wild caricatures of the other, how much we don't connect, even though we so deeply want to connect and bond. That one out of five, according to this survey, says violence is acceptable for a speaker with whom I disagree. We're in a a society now where identity politics of the most shallow kind bully people into their respective simplistic camps. Oh, you're from X region of the country? Well, that means you vote this way. Oh, you're from Y? You have Y type of person or orientation? Well, you think this way. Such that Salman Rushdie says that identity politics are now our safe space, but safe in a toxic sense. Safe from thought rather than safe for thought. No one thinks, no one talks, no one knows who the other is anymore. And therefore we don't even know who we are. The distance, and this is from from a New York Times quote, the distance now between making an argument and causing offense such that you can get fired is terrifyingly short. The argument isn't viewed as wrong, but immoral and therefore unworthy of discussion. And therefore, friends, with no spaces left to talk, because we're all terrified of being labeled a bigot or a communist or accused of being abusive, we retreat to our shallow identity politics. But again, they're not safe for thought, they're safe from thought. They just protect us, but we really don't talk even with our own group, group. Such that the prophet Lupe Fiasco got it right. And unfortunately it's the later Lupe, not the earlier Lupe, but I still think he's right here. He says, we're scared of almost everything, afraid to even tell the truth. So scared of what you think of me, I'm scared of even telling you. Sometimes I'm like the only person I feel safe to tell it to. I'm locked inside a cell in me, I know that there's a jail in you. We're all locked inside our own cells, afraid, lonely, wanting to belong, but not really because we're terrified to open up for fear of causing offense or being labeled, Or whatever and some of this i fully understand that some of this you might think is a good thing i i agree that words matter and that ideas and words make worlds they stir the imagination to to imagine things and therefore hateful ideas empower people embolden people to to act hatefully I think we can see a correlation of that over the last couple of years, absolutely. You may be right. All I'm saying is remember the biological premise. We are social creatures and your argument, no matter how rational and right it is, will not change anyone's mind. Because homo sapiens don't care first and foremost about what is true. They care about belonging and feeling safe and feeling accepted. So if we continue to label people abusive by very ideas, if we keep shouting down, if we keep refusing to listen, and we can do that, we will just push people further into their respective camps and violence will be the inevitable end. It will. And just so we know, guys, we're not unique in that. That's pretty much how the world has always worked. (laughs) Two sides fight it out, for the truth or for for their ideology, one side wins. The victors establish their peace over a battle. The world is not peaceful. We build peace off of our violence. The only thing that changes minds is not an argument, not at first, but friendship and empathy. I don't know if you've heard of Daryl Davis. Um, He's an R&B musician. uh, And what he's been doing um, for the last... Bit of time is he's been, uh, he's a black guy, and he's been traveling to KKK meetings, befriending Klansmen, and attempting to persuade them to leave the ideology behind. Um, Some people applaud what he's doing. Some people, uh, he's a very controversial figure. Some people say he's not, um, that he's he's emboldening them by this friendship, that he's um, condoning them by this friendship. So he's very controversial. All we know, according to the documentary, is that as of 2017, over 200 Klansmen, through friendship with Davis, have left it behind. 200. And as a sign of their newfound friendship and their new way of seeing the world, they've given him his, their, their old cloaks, their Klan cloaks. And he just showed 200 cloaks that he has. So yeah, maybe it's controversial, but he's convinced 200 white supremacists to leave it. Have you? I haven't. The argument, no matter how rational it may be, will not convince anyone. Empathy is the building block for it. Friendship. The process of how the world handles conflict, we fight and then a peace emerges. And what I wanna now argue, that was maybe a little too long sort of understanding what's going on in our society. What I wanna now argue is how God does it. Because God does exactly the opposite. It's the inverse. The world fights, And it puts a peace over top of war. God in Jesus declares peace. And now we have all the time in the world to debate and fight. when I say fight, I don't mean literal violence, but you know what I mean. To debate and have conversations about what is true. Now, because Jesus has declared peace, we have safety to explore what is true. And I wanna show you now why this is precisely what God has always said and had in mind. We're gonna read Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. We're gonna put it up behind me. Jesus is talking to his disciples, those who call him uh, Lord, those who accept his claims. And this is what he says. He says, if your brother or sister sins, that's to say, if they cause offense, if they harm, if they're destructive, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. The church meaning uh, the, the collection, the community, the family. Tell it to the family. And if they refuse to listen even to the family, the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me, up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven, but 70 times seven. This is God's process of handling conflict. Let's walk through it. What is he saying? Well, first he says, if a brother or a sister sins against you, wrongs you, let's stop there because we need to understand the identity of what's going on. The the word, some translations say a church member, but it's actually adelphos, which means brother. If a brother or a sister wrongs you, see that's one of the blessings and the curses around family. You can't get rid of them. I get an amen about that? Amen. It's good. I mean, it's hard because if you have a family member drag the family name in the dirt, well, that's your family name. But if you have a family member that lifts up the family, well, that's your family name. No matter what they do or fail to do, no matter how much they lift up or drag down the family name, you can't get rid of them. It's the premise. It's the grounding. They are family. And it's, It's it's the safety of belonging we're talking about. We know that we belong to this family, that we are safe to open up fully, knowing that there's going to be some crazy stuff that comes out. But it's okay because you can't reject me. I am your brother. Through God and Jesus, He said, I am your brother, and you are my brother and sister. That is Firm, that is secure, that cannot be altered. So he says, if your brother sins against you, go to them. And, and it's sad because right now, many of us don't feel this way about one another. In fact, I, I would argue, and this, is, I mean, this has been proven elsewhere uh, around the country, that we feel more family toward those weak, shallow polit- identity politics than we do to those sitting in this room. And friends, those in this room, this is the true reality. This is the most real that is opening up. This is the space where we learn what it means to be God's family, to be real humans, true humans. And so Jesus says, that's where we need to start. Not if an outsider wrongs you, if a family member wrongs you, go. What do you do? Go and reveal it to him. Uh, the, The word for reveal has this connotation of shine light. Bring light into the situation, which again, brings up confirmation bias, right? Where we can see, we can see clearly what's going on over there, but we can't see it in ourselves. So go to them, they can't see it, and reveal to them why that word, why that phrase, why that action, why this is harming you, is harming the family. But be aware that they might reveal something too, (laughs) right? If we can't see it in ourselves, but allow, because of the family, allow the light to start opening things up. Allow the light to come in. And what happens when light comes into a dark room? Well, you start to see things more clearly. You can make out objects that you didn't know were there before. And it's like, it's like when, the, when, when the first really hot day after winter, or at least for me, for those with Irish blood, man, my skin hurts, right? It hurts at first, but I know it's good. I know it's giving me vitamin D and I know it's gonna ultimately end up for my good. It's gonna heal. So go to them and shine light. But where there's more light, that means there's more truth about what's going on in the world we live in. Just the other day, I was uh, supposed to hang out with a friend and um, um, I texted him. I was like, hey man, plans changed, I'm so sorry. And uh, he texted back and he was like, he was laughing. He goes, you know, I-, I called it, you always do this. I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, you're notorious for plans changing and not telling. <laughs> And I was like, so hurt. (laughs) I was so hurt. I had no idea I did that. I had no idea, but I know he loves me. I know he's for me. I know he's not walking out on our friendship. I know he knows that I love him. So I was able to receive that and it hurt and apologize. And go, I am so sorry. It is not indicative of what I feel about you or our time together. And then start being aware of where I do that. So go and reveal it to your family member. But notice the order, go when it's you and him or her alone. The first step of conflict resolution is not to gossip about the person, it's not to tweet out your anger, it's to go alone. Because the more people involved in a situation, the less safe people feel, they feel ganged up upon. They feel crowded out. They're not willing to open up their hearts to hear something differently. The point is that they are family and the only way minds can be changed if they feel safe and love that you belong to them. And out of that you speak. Well, if they don't listen, says Jesus, go with two or more, add more people into it. Because what we're dealing with now is not belonging. We already know we belong, we're dealing with truth. We're dealing with light coming into a situation, seeing clearly, seeing it the right way. So bring more and be like, let's make sure we can you know, clarify this. All, are we all seeing the same thing? And if they listen, you have gained your brother. The word is one. You have won your family member back. Because friends, the whole point of entering into conflict is to reconcile with one another. The whole point is to gain our family member back. When there's something in between us, there's a separation. We, we, we don't, we're not in right relationship. In our society, we think the point of speaking truth, the, the point of, of, of telling, telling it like it is or whatever, is so that we win. But when we think that way, that we, it pushes people further away. More people feel pressure And it just pushes people into their respective camps. The point of speaking truth in God's family is because there's already a family and now there's separation. We need to reconcile that. We need to bring it back together. The family has already won. The family has already won. Now we have the space and time and safety to reconcile with one another. And Jesus finishes and says, and if they refuse to listen at every stage, if they refuse to allow light in at every stage, let them be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. That is to say, you don't view them as a brother or a sister anymore. But that begs the question, well, how do we treat Gentiles or tax collectors according to Jesus? <laughs> we sang about it earlier. We love them <laughs> We love them. We serve them. We are for them. We lay down our lives for them. We don't try to debate or, or persuade. Instead, we love and serve and go with them. How are those outside the family of God treated? And just so you know, that whole idea of outside the family of God, that's not from God's perspective. God has already won back the entire world. Peace has spoken over the world. It's a whether people are willing to allow this truth, this light to dawn in their hearts. But how are people outside the family of God treated? They're loved, they're sacrificed for. You listen because we know theologically and biologically, truth can only be effective when people know that they belong to you, that they're safe with you. And as I just went through this, do you not see how we reverse every part of this process right now in our society? We reverse every part First, when there's conflict, we don't go to the person, we gossip and tweet about it. And a lot of times we have to, because what? We're not connected locally, we're connected in some virtual space. So that's, what, that's, that's where we do our talking. Jesus says, go to that person and then add more and more on top of it. Second, we don't view people as family until they agree with us. Jesus says, they're already family. That's the foundation because of who I am. I've called both of you brother and sister, you're family. Now work it out. You can't get away from each other. We say, you have to agree with us and then your family. And then finally, and this one might be the most profound for me. If disagreement persists, we stop viewing people as humans and we start viewing them as monsters. At least right now we do. But notice this this whole idea of insiders and outsiders. Notice what Jesus does. Our society right now, we say, speak truth to the outsiders and then love the insiders. And Jesus says, I want you to do the exact opposite. I want you to speak truth to the insiders and love the outsiders. I'm just gonna pause there because that had me on the floor when I realized that. I want you to speak truth to the insiders in the space. Here's the space where we learn what it is to see the new reality. Outsiders, don't speak truth there. Don't even engage. I want you to serve and love and go with and lay down your life for Because they need to know that you are for them, that you belong with them before you can even begin to open up to what the true light of the world would say. That's powerful. And then Jesus sums up the entire process and he says, whenever two agree on earth about anything, they receive whatever they ask for from my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. The word for agree is sumphaneo, sumphaneo. It's a compound word. Soon, which means with, and phoneo, phone, is where we get it from, to talk. So it's to talk with. What does it mean to agree? What does that mean to agree on something in my name? Well, you may have heard it, sumphaneo. We have another English word derived from it. It's the word symphony, sumphaneo, a symphony. Well, what is a symphony? I'm not musical, but at a simple level, a symphony is a collection of people playing the same song. They're playing the same song with different instruments and different notes that are attempting to find that perfect harmony. They're not all playing the same notes, but they are playing the same song. And they're harmonizing and making something beautiful. Jesus is saying, whenever people are coming together and the grounding of such coming, the grounding of such conversation is the name of Jesus, is himself, is what he has done. God is there. God is there. And then out of that space, we are able to disagree with one another, to continue talking, to continue reasoning, to continue debating. Because in that, we're finding the notes that harmonize and we're moving toward unity. In our world, we shout truth until you change your minds and then you come in your family. But God does the exact opposite. In a broken world, God comes in the flesh and he takes on the fullness of human existence. He becomes a a human and he lives a human life and he accepts everything that we all experience, even death. But in death, we realize that Jesus is not defeated by it. He's raised to life again, which means everything that could possibly afflict us has no power over us anymore. In Jesus, God has entered into the world and said peace, peace to everyone, peace right where you are. Even though you're fighting together, even though you're angry as all, get out with one another, peace. The family is saved. Jesus has entered right into the core of the universe. Light has entered back into the rebellious universe and it's opened it back up. The world is saved. The world is saved, the battle's over. Death cannot, which is the last enemy, death cannot hold us down because it could not hold him down. He has authority over it, which means since there's peace and the family is secure, now we have the safety. Now we belong enough to trust one another, to work this out, to learn what it is, because there's no one that God has not gone to and said, you're part of the family. No one, no one now that we belong to God's family, safe, loved, we can begin the process of entering and not fearing conflict, speaking truth, creating that safe space which is so lacking right now. Knowing that conflict, shining light, will actually lead us to the fullest understanding of what is true about God and therefore what is true about ourselves. In the world we fight, one side wins, they establish their peace and everyone sort of gets in line, but not in our family. In our family, Jesus comes and he absorbs violence, he dies. And then since he doesn't stay dead, he is now declared peace over everything. And out of that grounding of peace, we are able to fight together as family members. I wanna invite the band back up and I just wanna close with this. Because after Jesus does this talking, Peter, who's, he, gets a, he gets a bad rap. He understands like the implications of what Jesus is saying. He goes, you're, you're basically establishing a family on the basis of forgiveness. That anyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they may think, they can be part of the family if they so choose it. No matter what they do, if they come back and say, I'm sorry, I see the light. I see my error. Can I come back to the table? You're saying we have to say yes. That could be really dangerous, Jesus. Like that could, there are people who will abuse that. How many times should we forgive? How many times should this process happen? And Peter, because he's being a, a good Jewish person, he goes, seven times? Cause seven is the number of completeness. It's the, it's the perfect number, he goes, Jesus said, is it seven times? Because we might not get far with an idea like this. This this could take forever, this conversation of finding the right notes, of harmonizing and making a symphony. And Jesus goes, he sounds the bell and he goes, no, Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven. Which for anyone listening, and even for us, just blows up our entire paradigm. Because what Jesus is saying is that there is nothing, there's no stretch of this earth. There's no action. There's nothing that can separate someone from my love. If they will receive it, if they will, if they will know that they are part of this family, then there is nothing that I will reject them for. Therefore, there's nothing you can reject them for. So receive them back into the family back to the table, back to the conversation. The foundation of the new world, his family is eternal forgiveness. Jesus is saying, feel safe. Feel safe, oh humans, feel safe. You were loved. You were loved by one another. Now we get to do the safe and also dangerous task of allowing light in to understand what is true. Who is this God? Who is this Jesus? And through the process of conflict with one another, through the process of this death and resurrection, this pool, this pruning and opening up, we will reach unity because what binds us is his name alone. Happy Thanksgiving. Will you pray with me? Lord, I know, because it's true in me. I would guess most people in this room don't feel safe to show their real selves. That they've been wounded by people, people who bear your name, and they don't feel safe. But here, in this family, it's the exact opposite. We are family. And though conflict is scary, we can rest assured that you will not abandon us. We will not be rejected by you, no matter what it is that we are loved. And therefore we get to enter to the process of talking together, discussing, debating, feeling safe and belonging to one another learning the symphony, learning to play the notes that makes something so beautiful. Lord, don't let us reverse the process. In a a world right now that shouts truth at those on the outside and is buddy-buddy with those on the inside, let us be the exact opposite. Let us be known by our society for the way we love those on the other side, whatever the other side means. We serve and we delight And those of us on the inside, this is where we do the hard work of learning what is true. This is where we do the hard work of speaking our hearts. This is the safe space because you've come Jesus and you've declared peace. You've come. And by taking on our likeness, by living, by dying, and by not being defeated by death, the entire world now knows peace. Let us build a unified, reconciled world, a reconciled kingdom off of that peace. Father, each person in this room, would you tell them that they are seen, that they are so loved and that they're safe? They don't need to be afraid. And if there's anyone in this room who's never begun a relationship with you, But right now, if there's something stirring in their hearts, if there's something that says, this Jesus is unique, I would pray that you give them the courage to yield their hearts, to know that they are part of the family, that they are safe and they can come to the table. And at the table, we can start asking the questions and answering them and discussing them. But would they know that through you, Jesus, that they are loved and forgiven and delighted in. We praise you, Jesus. Reveal yourself to us. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.